This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Indeed it is, and Shavua Tov to everybody out there. Hope this week will be a fabulous week. Certainly the weather is holding up in Johannesburg. Cannot actually believe um, that we're in the throes of winter, and we're actually coming very soon to the winter solstice. It means we're halfway through winter, and hey, I haven't lit in my heater yet, and um, I hope to keep it that way. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend, um, an invigorating one. And uh, you're ready now to attack the, the new week with vigor. And as always on Chai FM, we attack it with vigor by learning Torah because Torah gives us strength. It gives us uh, insight. It gives us uh, that which we need in order to, to, to swim and to negotiate the vicissitudes of life. And uh, what better way than to learn from our friend Noah? whom we've been learning about for, for quite a while now. We're in the book of Genesis. We're going to be starting chapter 9. And this is now looking at a post-flood world. Um, and we are needing to understand now how Noah is navigating the difficulties of um, adapting to the new world. In fact, we will see that God actually has to give him a number of promises. And those promises are really reassurances and guarantees that he'll be able to restart up again, that the world will be able to regenerate itself. Um, and um, look, the proof is in the pudding. We are here, around here today, thanks to Noah. And uh, from understanding the promises and the ideas behind it, we are going to at the end of the show, towards the end of the show, discuss two very, very interesting concepts that we actually learn from these verses, and that is <clears throat> the idea why suicide is shunned in Jewish law, um, something that is a very, very difficult and very, very complex discussion, um, and I'm going to give you some insight into that, and also um, together with suicide, there are many, many things that the Torah tells us to uh, to be careful about in terms of avoiding danger. There are many, many rules that people are not aware of, and I'd like to bring some of them that Torah brings to our attention. Um, and all of this is learned from these verses about Noah. So as always, we are going to look into the text itself, the Hebrew text, um, understand the translation, understand um, everything about it, and uh, we'll get st stuck into it, and let's see what we can learn. This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. Okay, so let's get stuck in. We're at Chapter 9 for anybody who is wanting to follow in inside, inside the text. If you have got a Bible in front of you, you've got a Chumash. Um, we're on Chapter 9. We have got... We're going to be looking at verse 1. Just as a reminder, um, in the previous verses at the end of chapter 8, we learned the first promise that God has given to Noah, and that was the promise that he would never destroy the world again. God said, never again shall I curse the soil because of man, and I will never again strike down all of life as I have no, as I know it. So that was the first and probably the most important that God promises not to destroy the world in its entirety again. Now the verses we are going to study today, it's uh, chapter, verses one to eight, you will see that another four promises 
um, are going to be given to Noach. So let's look in the verses and let's see what um, what is being told. Vayivarech Elokim et Noach veet banav. God blessed Noach and his sons. Vayomer lahem. He said to them. Peru uruvu umilu etaaretz, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Um, so here we've got uh, an interesting idea because the first time we get the mitzvah or get the commandment to be fruitful and multiply, um, we know, um, for those that have been listening to Chayefem and this section in particular, we were we met it when we were stud- studying Adam, Adam, and in the Garden of Eden, God said to him, Peru Uruvu, be fruitful and multiply. So why is there a rep- repetition of that? So um, there isn't, there is a repetition but with an emphasis. And the emphasis is an umilu et ha'aretz, fill the earth. So here, this wasn't just the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. It is the blessing that God gives Noach to his children that they'll be fertile and they will increase and they will fill the earth. And this world will have a big population, as we can see the blessing of it today, that there are billions and billions of human beings out there. So that is essentially um, the difference in the fruitful and multiply blessing that God gave Noah now as opposed to what he gave Adam um, in the first instance. So this was the second blessing. First blessing, I promised not to destroy this this world. Second blessing is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You are going to be fertile. You are going to increase. Then God says, Umora achem vechitchem al kol chayat ha'aretz. The fear and dread of you will be instilled in all the wild beasts of the earth, the alcohol of Hashemayim, and all that which flies, um, all the birds of the sky, and everything that creeps on the ground, and even the birds, I mean the fish of the sea, I give into your hand. And then God goes and says, Every swarming creature that lives shall be yours to eat like grass vegetation. I give you all, only flesh with its lifeblood you shall not eat. Incorporated into these verses are a number of extra promises that God God makes. So let's dissect it a little bit more. The third promise was dominion over the animals. Now let's understand that a little bit because when God first created Adam, he gave him the the power um, over all the animals. But what actually happened was once Adam sinned, the animals rebelled against him and they no longer obeyed him. And this situation deteriorated to such an extent that it was impossible, so um, our, our sages tell us, that it was impossible even to plow because the ox would not obey the farmer. Now, when Noach was born, that's ten generations later, man regained his previous advantage over the animals, okay, 
But still, nevertheless, prior to the flood, people, as we know, became so wicked that they lost that advantage and they were terrified of the wild animals. And it was only when Noah came about that this fear that the wild animals should have was reinstated. So much so we know, we learned a couple of weeks ago, that when they stage a rebellion outside the ark because they realized the waters were coming and that they weren't going to be saved, the lions surrounded the ark and frightened them away. So now after the flood, God blesses Noah that all the animals will fear man and be in dread of man. And how do we know it existed before, was taken away, and now reinstated? From the very words, Moraachem vechitchem, your fear and your dread. Because if God just wanted to say that there will be fear and dread from the animals, he should have said, Moira vechita. Fear and dread will be over the wild animals. Because it says, that it's your fear and your dread, what we are, what we are understanding is that this did exist before. Yes, it did with, with Adam Harishon, with the first man. And now it was being reinstated again, um, from Noah's time moving forward. So, what we have here is a promise that was giving, given to Noah, but by definition should and must be seen as something that is true even to this day. Meaning that as, as long as a human being is alive, all creatures will fear him and flee at the sight of him. They should even be apprehensive in the presence of a newborn infant. Conversely, when a person is dead, that fear, that dread disappears because how do we know? Because a mouse will blatantly go and nibble, um, say, at the eyes of a human being. When there's just a corpse, even the lowliest worm has absolutely no compuncture in, in, in eating of the human being. So man's power to instill dread on the animals depends on his being alive. But having said that, there should be a question ringing in your head. I wonder if anybody is thinking, what is wrong with everything I've just said? Give me a call on 061 You can WhatsApp or 34519. Um, you, can, you can SMS in. What's wrong with what we have just learned about the dread and the fear of animals being there while a man is alive and only disappearing when a man passes away. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Indeed it is. And how mystical are we going to get? Not too mystical, but uh, we're going to pick up where we left off just before the ad break in that we've just learned that Noah receives a third promise from God that the fear and the dread of animals will be upon a human being all the time that a human being is alive. It will only disappear when he passes away. Now, we read many times, and I think it's pretty pertinent to us South Africans over here because it happens, unfortunately, um, in our wild parks like the Kruger and other places where we hear so many cases on records where a lion 
or another wild animal has attacked a person and has eaten them. So where is this promise to Noah that animals should be in fear of us? Well, before we answer that question directly, let's just think about when we do go driving around the Pellensburg or the Kruger National Park or we find ourselves somewhere in the wild, most times, 99% of times, you will see that the animals do fear us. As soon as we make one movement or we do something, they're out of there. How much time and energy we expend on trying to remain as quiet as possible and as inconspicuous as possible in order for the animals not to disappear. So we can see the relevance and the, 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 the fact that this promise does happen, that the animals are scared of us. Conversely, though, what does happen when we've seen a lion attack a person and eaten them or, or some other wild animal? So our rabbis teach us that when, when we're looking at divine justice, when we are looking at how things are run in this world, this world runs very, very fairly, even though it might seem to the physical eye that in fact it isn't, that everything's skewed, that those that are honest um, are found guilty, those that are guilty are getting off scot-free. That is a misconstrue of the, of, of the human condition. Um, because we rely on, 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 on human intervention to judge things. From a, from a divine perspective, however, everything has a repercussion, good and bad. You might do something that goes unnoticed, but certainly in God's eyes, it's not unnoticed and um, it is dealt with. Vice versa, you might do something wrong and you know, think, well, nobody saw me, nobody heard me, I'm going to get off scot-free. Know that God is looking and, you know, Whatever is due to you will be coming your way. So in the legality of Torah, we have um, situations where there could be an individual who has committed a sin for which the penalty was death. However, there are no witnesses. Now, in a, from a Jewish perspective, the Jewish court cannot impose the death penalty um, because there are no witnesses. No witnesses <coughs> say you committed murder. Let's just take an obvious one. Say you committed murder um, and there were no witnesses and they could not prove otherwise. Even though you did commit and there were no witnesses, the Torah cannot go and impose a death penalty upon you because um, because they, they haven't got it in black and white. However, we're taught, God will not let that criminal go for free. And God has many, many messengers that will impose the death penalty. Um, and many times those messengers are, in fact, wild animals. Meaning, explained a little bit deeper, it says that a wild animal can only attack another human being when the human being acts like an animal. Only then they have the ability, the permission to attack him. What does that mean? No, it doesn't mean that the person must look and act as if he's a monkey um, or walk on all fours or chew the cud. It means that the spiritual stature of the person is such that he behaves um, in an animal-like manner, that he has no morality, he has no integrity, he has no honesty. 
Um, and therefore, his spiritual aura is such that it emanates as if it is an animal. It's just listening to its yetahara, to its evil inclination, and behaving in a very bad fashion. Once that spiritual aura has been compromised, then when an animal will see it, it will recognize it not as a human being, but as another animal, and it will attack it. If a person, for example, conversely, does good work and has pity on the poor, he will never lose his human aura, his ability to, 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 to exude that positive um, energy, and no animal will ever be able to approach him and do harm. And we've had many, many examples like that where we know uh, Daniel in, in the lion's den. Okay, what, what happened with Daniel? He was thrown into the lion's den, hope, hoping the, 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 the people that threw him in were hoping that he would be devoured. But the animals were very docile and they remained um, in the den with Daniel, and Daniel was untouched. Here is an example of where the human aura was strong enough, because Daniel was a tzaddik, he was a righteous person, was enough to subdue the animal. So this promise that um, that Adam got, I mean, sorry, that Noah got, is true and effective still today. Now, you can go and argue, well, I know this person, you know, got harmed by an animal or God forbid got killed by an animal, but he was such a good person. You know, the, he certainly didn't deserve. How do you know that he, he had a, a, um, a sin punishable by, by death in the courts? So the answer is that when we're talking about divine justice and divine retribution and, uh, the divine promise for 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 blessing this is not something that is only confined to the lifetime that we know and the person that we know or that appears to us as if we know there are many many times where retribution happens over more than one lifetime meaning it could be that somebody came into the comes back into this world in order to repair and do something and part of that whole system requires uh, penalty by death um, So whatever happens to us We tend as human beings To blame Or give some Give a pointer as to why that happened That this person got killed um, Because a robber Walked into his house This person got eaten Because he got out of his car um, And you know the lion was standing there Nothing happens by chance in uh, Judaism, and it turns the entire thing upside down, that anything that does come our way is because God ordained it to be that and gave the messenger, whether it is the thief, the, the wild animal, the virus, the stock market, you can, we've got lots and lots of things that we can blame lots and lots of things on, but all these things that we blame, it is not a Jewish point of view to go and say, well, it was because of that. It was because there was a bad virus out there that the person died. It was because, you know, he stepped out of his car and he didn't see the line hanging, you know, hanging out behind the tree. It was because, um, there was a, a thief 
The end of the day is nothing will happen to you unless God deems it will happen to you. And there are certain things that God gives as a guarantee, as in our example now. You will not be harmed by another animal because there is the promise that our fear and dread will be on the animals. They will not touch us. The only exception to it is when we are living a life like an animal. We have degraded ourselves in the way that we behave. We're listening to our compulsions and our needs and our wants and are not living a godly life. Then you open yourself to the possibility that that can happen. And again, it, it, it will be, um, it will be based on the, the, the system of divine justice. So that is something very, very interesting and some, like a really, really interesting discussion about human aura. For those that can see aura and those that can, can, can connect into that level, um, will tell you that you can see, um, how a person is behaving and where they're resonating by looking at their aura. Um, there's a, an entire discussion and I think I've discussed it before, but I'm going to mention it again. Um, there was a photographer, Carillion photography, um, a photographer, I think in the thirties or forties, I might stand corrected in terms of date, but he took pictures of plants. And when he developed the pictures, he developed them in such a way that he actually saw the aura around the plants. Now, understand from a Jewish point of view, what is aura? Aura is the emitting of the life force that, that one is carrying within them in an outward fashion. Now, anything that is living will have a life force. That's why it's considered living and therefore will have an aura. So this photographer and his name, um, has, has left me for now, um, took photographs of plants, um, and then developed them and you could see the, the, the aura of life around them. Then what he did is that he took a scissors and he cut a stem and uh, he hurt the plant, so to speak, and did things that so that that would hurt the plant. And then he re-photographed them and he saw that the aura around the place where the, he had cut the stem or that he had nicked him had changed, and um, that like led to a whole huge discussion that everything in life has an aura and is affected. And effects its surroundings. Um, more recently, probably in the last 10 years, and I've seen a video on this, somebody who understands the, the concept of Carillion photography and is able to photograph aura went into a shul. And, um, the, the, the minion, the, the people that had came to, to pray the morning prayer to, to Davin Shachrit were not aware of this person. This person took photographs of them and their aura before they started praying. And then he allowed them to put on tefillin, to put on talus, to daven, etc. And he took photographs while they were doing that and after they had done that. And it was actually unbelievably fascinating to see how talus, tefillin, davening, putting on phylacteries and the prayer shawl and praying actually increased the vibrancy and the strength and the resonance of the aura. And so from that, um, and we're really not going to use that as the reason, but it's a, a proof for the understanding that in Judaism, every mitzvah that we perform, 
increases aura in a, and, 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 and light in a very, very positive way. And the converse is also true. Every time we speak Losh and horror, every time we do something wrong, we are de- decreasing it. And all of this is learned from um, the story with 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 Noah that um, that there will be fear and there will be dread, and it is our fear and our dread that they have, provided that we behave in the manner that is expected of us. The next one is also quite a biggie. Um, and this is for all those out there that um, call themselves vegetarians, vegans, etc., etc. Um, the fourth promise in, involves the eating of meat. Now, we know that God, when he created Adam, did not give him permission to eat meat. He didn't eat the flesh of any uh, living creature, and this remained the custom for the first ten generations from Adam until Noah. They had no authority to slaughter animals, um, and they basically just remained vegetarians. Now when Noah leaves the ark, God gives him permission to slaughter and eat the flesh of animals, birds, and fish. Okay, But in the same breath, God commands Noah not to eat flesh from a living animal. I'm going to go back to the verses so that we can we can read it again. Um, God says over here, Ev- every swarming creature that lives shall be yours to eat like grass vegetation. I have given you all only flesh with its lifeblood you shall not eat. So here we've got now the introduction of meat into our lifestyle, and the question is why, and more so, the question is why can we not eat the life force, the blood of a living animal? Now, very interestingly, um, even for a Gentile, this is one of the seven laws that apply not only to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. You cannot drink blood from a living Animal, You cannot eat the meat from an animal whose limb you have just torn while there is um, life force in it. And we are going to understand this in a couple of ways. The first is, is that the reason why we got the mitzvah, and I'm using the word very, very carefully and correctly, the obligation to eat meat afterwards is because before... Um, Noah's time, okay, in the time of Adam, um, animals did not benefit from man in any way. And since they didn't benefit from man in any way, it was not appropriate that man kill them and eat them. But now um, God wanted a relationship between man and animal. And in fact, in our mystical texts, we are told that the greatest elevation we can give to an animal, provided it falls into the um, animals that are allowed, not the prohibited ones, the ones that are allowed, is for that animal to be slaughtered, prepared in the proper manner, 
brought, say, to the Shabbat table, eaten in service of God, because not only does man elevate himself, but he elevates the animal kingdom as well. So that is why we have the difference between that which was before the flood and that after the flood. So for all those out there who claim that, you know, we need to be on a higher standard, and remain vegetarian for religious purposes. I'm not going to discuss health, and I'm not going to discuss um, any of that area. For spiritual purposes, if one does not, um, uh, I don't want to use the word indulge because it, 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 that, that, that has a bad connotation, but one does not um, use the animal kingdom in the way that it's meant to, you're actually denying the purpose of creation. Having said that, we have many, many laws around the animals, and so for those um, who, who, who are very sensitive and uh, you know shout SPCA if they see any animal c- uh, cruelty, certainly from a Torah perspective, the Torah is very, very strong on ensuring there is no pain to the animal um, and that everything is done in the most humane way possible. And from there we can see that it is forbidden to tear a limb off an animal and eat it and tear off, um, uh, eat, eat of its blood. One other, th- one other aspect to bring out is that blood is forbidden, as I said, not only for Jews, but for, for, um, Gentiles. And the reason is, is that the blood in your body and in every animal's body is the interface between body and soul. That is where the, the base of your soul resides, your nephesh. And we know we have five levels of soul. Your base level nephesh resides in blood. When you partake of and eat blood of another animal, you are actually partaking and eating of their life force. Um, and that is not something Positive, that is not something that is good. It's not something that we want to do because we know very well in our modern times you are what you eat. And by, by partaking of that, it, you actually infuse yourself, imbibe into yourself the qualities of the higher, of, of, of the life force of an animal. And that's something we don't want to do. We're trying to refine ourselves and become as human and as godly as possible not as animal-like as possible. So we, we, we see here the banter between, yes, you must eat meat now as opposed to not, but when you are eating meat, it has to be in the right time, the right space, and according to the laws that the Torah gives us um, in this area. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and I've just got in a message from Mike that says, what you missed out is that aura photography showed that even after a limb or part of plant a plant was cut, the energy field aura still remained, and this explains false limb syndrome after an amputation. Thank you for that, Mike, and indeed so. Um, what you said is correct, and apologies for that omission. Um, and again, I think that part of this is also that once once something is removed, understand that that aura is coming from the life source that 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 continues through the rest of the body, and that's why it um, it is there. And people who have um, lost limbs still feel that there is something there. The life force is still there. Fantastic. Thank you for that. 
Right. So we just finished the fourth promise, and that was um, the promise to, or, or that the permission to eat meat. And in fact, that it is a commandment to eat meat at least on Shabbat and Yamim Tovim. Then we are going to read um, a very interesting two verses that um, talk about the fifth promise. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, Ve'ach et dimchem l'nafshotechem edrosh miyad kol hachaya adrashenu. Only the blood of your souls will I demand an account. From the hand of every wild beast, I too will demand an account. And from the hand of man, from the hand of the person's brother, I will demand an account of human life. He who spills the blood of man, through man shall his blood be spilt. Because in the form of God, he made man. Now be fertile and increase, swarm through the earth and be populous to it. So here's God's fifth promise to Noah involving the relationship to animals. You see, before the flood, um, it could be that um, animals would have seen humans as fair game, like there, there, there actually wasn't a relationship between them. But after the flood, the animals were commanded not to harm human beings, and if an animal now bit or killed a person, it itself could be punished, because it says here, from the hand of every wild beast, I will demand an account. And it's from here that we learned what we said earlier, that if there is a murder without witnesses, the courts can't impose any penalty. Okay, God is not going to allow you to go for free, so God will um, exact revenge through the animal. Nevertheless, God will demand an accounting of the animal to ensure that the animal acted on God's as God's agent, uh, agent in punishing the murderer, as opposed to. Um, him doing it out of his own volition. Then even the animal would get punished. You know, there's the famous uh, statement. Um, we probably could word it, what goes around comes around, goes around again. Um, it's in Pirkei Avot. Hillel saw a skull floating along the river. And um, he said to the skull, he who, um, you, you, I'm going to paraphrase it, he basically said, you have died because you obviously killed somebody else, but he who murdered you will sh surely too receive the same recompense. Know that for every action there is a reaction. There's nothing you can do in this world and think, ah, I can get away with it. You won't get away with it. Somehow, somewhere along the line, there will be that um Judgment that comes by. So we see here God made the five promises to Noah when he left the ark for an important reason. Why? Because when Noah and his children left the ark, they, imagine they walked out, they saw a world completely destroyed. It was desolate. It was empty. Nothing, nothing was left standing. And it says they began to weep because when you look at utter de devastation like that, it's, it's unfathomable. And they had three main concerns, Noah and his kids. 
Firstly, um, Noah and his family only survived. Firstly, they were very afraid of the animals. They were vastly outnumbered by the amount of animals and they were susceptible to attack. That's why God said, do not worry. The fear of the animals um, is there and they will not attack you. Secondly, they were afraid that they would not have food to eat. Remember, the earth was completely finished. Not a single plant, a tree had survived the flood. And even though Noah had taken all kinds of seed, seeds into um, the ark, they would require time to grow. And so they were worried about, about, about the dying of salvation. So, you know, they were going like, we would rather we should have just died in the flood than die from, uh, from starvation. So God is giving them now this reassurance. Don't worry. You can go out and even eat meat. There will be plenty of food for you to survive. And the third thing is they were very concerned about strife between them because remember when there were only two brothers, Cain and Abel, um, they, one, one killed the other. They were very worried about arguing between themselves and that there would be no authorities to instill respect and law and order. God repeated to them, do not worry. You will be fine. You'll be fertile. You'll multiply. And in fact, you will swarm, um, the earth. Now, what is very, very interesting is that, um, from here, from these verses about God getting an account, only the blood of your souls will I demand an account. From the hand of every wild beast, I will demand an account. And from the hand of man, from the hand of a person's brother, I will demand an account. Here we learn um, a very, very interesting, two interesting halachot. One is the prohibition to commit suicide. Why is there a prohibition to one taking one's life? Now, Suicide, as I mentioned earlier, is a very, very complex um, topic. It is something that I'm only going to touch the iceberg um, and I'm only going to discuss it from a spiritual point of view, certainly not from all the psychological, uh, emotional dynamics and, and uh, circumstances that lead a person to this point. Um, one can understand that one can become very, very depressed if one doesn't find oneself, if one is in great pain due to illness, um, or if one is finds oneself in financial ruin, or one has dis, uh, a mental disorder that brings one close to wanting to release oneself out of the ex, excruciating pain that one is finding uh, oneself in. Um, nevertheless, um, we are we are taught that if one would God forbid commit suicide, okay, um, we lose out in three ways. Firstly, we lose out in this world, meaning that there is no such concept in Judaism as no hope, ever, ever. Even if you've seen somebody, and there are many stories to prove it, let's just take it from the medical perspective of a person who's on life support and they go and say, sorry, he's a vegetable. He never will live again as a normal human being. There is no such thing as never, ever. A, God can perform miracles, and B, there have been documented facts. I read a story once of a, of, of a, a young guy in his 20s who went on some skiing trip or some, some type of trip, went um, – Colliding down the mountain, by the time he was brought into 
the hospital, he was pronounced brain dead. Um, obviously they stuck in all, all, all the life, life supporting machines. And this chap, he remained like this, um, for a very, very long while. In fact, for years, the parents brought a, an application to the Canadian court to let them switch off his machines. And I think they were granted that, but they decided before that they will donate all his organs because he was um, ultimately a healthy guy to other people so that they could benefit. And um, he was wheeled into the operating theater. And as the surgeon lifted his knife to start the, the procedure, he saw the, the eyelid of the guy flutter, but in a, in a very strange way. And he stopped what he was doing. He came out to the parents. He said, there is life here. It might not be completely uh, obvious to us right now. I'm not prefer not taking out the organs of this young man. Um, I, I respect life to the nth de degree. And this decision was a very interesting one because they kept him um, on life support. And ultimately, he actually came out of the coma and he got re rehabilitated. And he tells that he saw when he came into the, the, the young man, when he came into the operating theater um, and the surgeon was about to operate on him, he had no ability to scream. All he could do was crunch his eyes. And thank God the surgeon was sensitive enough to know to stop. This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. In these challenging times, many people are under pressure, and for some, it can be all too much. Who does one turn to? Well, Chai FM will be starting a helpline later this year, and we are looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, please email helpline at chaifm.com. Chai FM 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. And, hey, how... Not ironic, everything happens by Ashkocha Protis. We are now talking on the topic of suicide. Um, certainly, as you can see from a Jewish point of view, we try to maximize life and we, we um, ensure that life can be lived to its fullest. So suicide doesn't solve any problems. And as long as a person is alive, um, every day brings new hope. And therefore, by taking our life, um, we are losing out in this world. Second, we are told mystically that suicide loses the future world, meaning a suicide, um, a person who takes their life before its time, that soul wanders around without being allowed a place to rest um, because it left the world before its time. And so if one thinks that one will get peace in the world to come, that, tr that too um, is not true. And... Um, the, 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 the third thing is that one is not allowed to mourn a person who commits suicide. Uh, the sages decree that the usual rules of mourning do not apply to them and nor do we, so we don't mourn a suicide nor do we conduct a funeral for such a person nor do we eulogize him. Um, because these are things that the rabbis teach. We honor the dead, and this person does not um, deserve honor since he's taken his own life. Um, today, if there are extenuating circumstances that led to a person's suicide, um, the rabbis tend to be somewhat more lenient. But overall, as a concept, um, we do not believe in suicide, nor do... do, do um, do we promote 
any way um, switching off machines or doing anything that will end a person's life from uh, from earlier than the way God wills it. And just really that case that I told you before the break um, is an example of that. Just very quickly, because time is running away um, with us, the other um, thing that we learn from here is that we need to avoid danger. And just like we have the commandment to um, forbid suicide, it also then gives us an obligation for each individual to avoid danger. There are many, many rules um, and perhaps when we come back next uh, n- next week, I will go through some of them because it's actually quite interesting. We're not talking about the obvious ones like please wear a seatbelt and, uh, you know, please drink water so that you, 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 you won't dehydrate and all the things that uh, you, we know and our Jewish mommies have told us and common sense tells us the Torah actually gives many rules that we're not aware of um, that can pose a danger. But I'm going to keep you in suspense with that one right now. And uh, in the meantime, I'm going to wish you all a wonderful week. Hope you enjoyed the learning. And please, God, we'll be back same time, same place.